we have games for learning and just general overall learning guru Carl Kopp with us. We are kind of live from the ATD Technology Conference. At least some of us are. Some of us are at home. Either way, it's the Learning Geeks podcast and it's coming your way now. All right, hello, hello again for our listeners. I think it's a couple of weeks since you heard us last, but for those of us on this podcast, we just saw each other yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Through the magic of radio. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we're, we're, we're pounding out a couple in a row. Uh, the ATD Technology Conference is going on right now, and... Jake and Dana are still up there in San Jose. I had to get back uh, back down home to Long Beach. So if you imagine in your mental uh, vision here, I'm sitting in my office while Jake and Dana and our guest Carl Kopp are all around a table in a little room at the conference center. Yeah, I mean, a, a table, but a big room. We actually got lucky. It is, and there's room. a tablecloth to help with the uh, little bouncing sounds coming off. So. <laughs> well, Bob, we wish you were here. We wish you were here live, but... Uh, I do wish I was here live. I really, you know, and, and I have not had a chance before to meet Carl, although I did attend uh, one of your seminars, one of your designing games for learning seminars at some conference I went to in the last year or two. Oh, fantastic. Really yeah. 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 I They're always a lot of fun. Yeah. But and we're happy to have you here. Yeah. And, I'm uh, happy to be here. Few talking to you. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be, uh, to be on the show. Carl, why don't you uh, just begin with a little bit of your background? I know that uh, you currently teach at Bloom Bloomsburg University out east in Pennsylvania, where they're probably getting lots of snow today. Yes. But just yeah. give us a little bit of background, and okay. uh, then we'll just kind of explore the world of games and learning. Sure. So um, I'm uh, going into year 23 at Bloomsburg University. So I was going to go there for three years and check it out and see if it worked out. Uh, so it did. So uh, <laughs> I guess uh, there I uh, it did. Uh, I work as a, a professor of instructional technology. So it's a graduate program where we teach students how to design, develop, and deliver online instruction. So that's kind of my, I tell people that's my day job. And then a number of years ago, I really got interested in games and gamification for learning. So I started writing books about it and researching it and creating learning games and really getting, um, you know, buried in kind of what that process was and having the fortunate uh, position that I was in to start teaching about games at the university for from a learning perspective. So I've been doing that for a number of different years and really getting into it. And um, it's really exciting to then go to conferences and things and kind of share my findings and my re revelations about games and then watching people go ahead and, and create games, you know, kind of based on some guidance and things like that. It's a lot of fun. So, I, so I've been um, teaching and writing and speaking for a number of years all around. Uh, I always say it's it's the convergence of learning, uh, business, and games. Mm -hmm. and you're so popular now that even here at the conference, we have a Carl Cappuccino. <laughs> Although they they did not, you're not supposed to say Cappuccino, I'm sure, but like we're, we have to make sure you spell have your name correct. Right? Yeah, okay. well, it was so funny to me because I didn't know anything about it, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, uh, Carla 
texted me and said, Carl, did you, did you know that? So I'm like, no, I had no idea. I don't even drink coffee. So it was, <laughs> but yeah. And, and I was telling somebody on social media, I'm like, yeah, I've written books and I've spoken all over and everything. But once I had a, a drink name after me, it like exploded. That's, that's, it. that's it. it. Yeah. yeah right. That's so yeah, right. people are like, congratulations. I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just, like, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. And Jake, since, since you have been on the committee for this conference, we need to make sure that next year we have a learning geeks latte or something like that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we should. Although this would be my last year, so I don't know how much influence I'll be able to, to provide. Oh, I'm guessing you'll still have and still have. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe a little yeah. bit. Of pull. So pull Carl, with, chair emeritus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Carl, with your vantage point, it's it's a unique one because you not only have you know do in traditional instructional design type things, but you have the gaming component. So given that kind of dual perspective, what have you learned about how instructional designers think differently than game designers, and perhaps some things that you know, most of our audience are instructional designers. What things could they benefit from, from thinking differently? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, so one of the things I, I always say is that game designers tend to think action first and content second. Instructional designers tend to think content first, action second, or performance second. So one of the things I encourage instructional designers who are going into game design or just that want to make learning a little bit more interactive is to think, what do you want the learners to do to show that they've learned? Like, what performance? And, you know, traditional instructional design doesn't, doesn't um, exclude that, but I see that the proclivity. So it's very interesting. When you view things through a certain lens, you act a certain way, even if you don't realize it. So as your instructional designer, you kind of want to do the analysis and want to get all the content and get everything from the subject matter expert and kind of explain it and do all that kind of stuff. The game designer says, okay, what kind of action do I want people to do? Where do I want them to go? What do I want the outcome to be? So one of the things is to think action first. The other thing I think that instructional designers tend to uh, think about is, um, you know, we're taught you break it into smallest possible pieces and then you teach it to the learner. And that really that works well if somebody is total novice to the content. But most of our learners are never total novices to the content. But if the game designer, they kind of throw you into the middle of the action and you got to figure out what's going on. So I think the idea of putting somebody in a little bit over their head and letting them and it's scaffolding. So it's been around. It's nothing that's new. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting when I started looking at games and instructional design was the game people have been doing almost instinctively all the things we kind of knew we should be doing, but we weren't doing. And so we became, I think, a little bit too analysis paralysis by the, the models that we use. The other thing that game designers do is they build in uncertainty and mystery and intrigue into the learning. And again, we tend not to do that as much as maybe we should be. You know, here's everything you need to know figure you know you're good to go remember it and do it later but when we actually fill in those gaps on our own we're much better able to recall that information and apply that information so that's another thing that i think we need to think about as instructional designers kind of shifting our mindset and then finally the thing that i think is the most important is that game designers want you to fail 
they don't want you to be successful the very first time you play the game. And, and in fact, if you think about games that you've played, if you're really successful the first time you play them, you're bored. You quit. Mm-hmm. You leave. So they want you to fail the game. They, you start with three lives. And uh, you can lose two of the lives and still be fine, right? So they build failure into the process. And so, and we learn a lot from failure. There's a ton of research about how we learn from failure and how we can uh, get better through failure and how failure hones uh, our actions and behaviors. So uh, failure is really the thing I think that uh, we as instructional designers, if we want to think like a game designer, need to embrace failure, need to work with failure, and need to make it part of our instructional design process. I remember uh, when I first heard you talk to this topic, and I don't know if you use this as an example or if it's something that I thought about afterward, but uh, I thought about when I first learned to play Mario Super Kart with my kids, right? Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like you go, you hit the button and you go and you crash. And then you go, well, why did I crash? And Right? I mean, it's exactly. that type of yeah, thing. Exactly, yeah, that's exactly, yeah. It's because your child shot a red turtle shell at you. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I didn't quite get it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, you know, that, that point of... Failure, but safe, in some ways, safe failure. Yes. Because yep. you know you have multiple lives. Right. And you know your kid's going to whoop you anyway. Yeah, that's a <laughs> yep. good example. I don't think you heard from me. I think you really did get defeated by your kids. <laughs> yeah. right. No, I have. Yeah. I really have, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, that's a really great way to look at it. it it's safe failure, and it and we can learn a lot from that. You know, again, if you look at the research where we learn through case studies and experiences, and if we look at the difference between an expert and a novice is an expert has more experience. So can't we vicariously give people that experience through the process of playing games and scenarios? And the answer is yes. And I think uh, giving them that experience to fail and learn from that failure is much better than them being, you know, interacting with a customer or a subject matter expert and failing there. I think another element that um, that game designers think differently about than instructional designers is the whole notion of storytelling. I think game designers tend to, in some ways, I think they start with story, and um, instructional designers often think, mm, maybe I should get a story in here, right? So it's not as predominant. Is that is that yeah, an accurate assessment? It's absolutely accurate. What what happens is is the game designer cast the entire experience in a story. The instructional designer, like I, I was talking about one time, I said, yeah, we had this instruction where we provided the terminology, we talked about the model, we showed the forms that you filled out, and then we went ahead and did a case study. And somebody's like, oh my gosh, that's our training. Like, did you sneak into our training? I'm like, no, that's how it all works. And we <laughs> took training and we said, okay, we're not going to do that kind of training. This was for uh, conducting internal audits. And so when people came into the room, we said, you're an auditor. Uh, somebody has just come to you and accused your manager of embezzling $10,000. What do you do? And that was the introduction to the instruction. And the engagement was through the roof because people wanted to find out what was happening rather than, I always say that you know we, we often start instruction with instructional objectives. Sometimes I call them objections because uh, <laughs> you say to a learner, uh, a sales group, right? Here's, you're going to learn four things about our sales technique today. And a good salesperson says, I know five. This is a waste of my time. But if you start out with, do you know the number one way to close a sale in our organization? Well, maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Now you're in. Do you think Bob can close a sale in this situation? Right? Oh, well, I don't know. So now you have this sense of as I talked before, mystery, story that involves thing, that involves the learner. And then we also know from the research that embedding content in a story is actually better for recall. Mm-hmm. So, so it's good all the way around. So there's tons of reasons to do that from a 
pedagogical or andragogical perspective, from uh, just an engagement perspective, and from the perspective of the learner. So there's a lot to be said for that. One other thing, and I see Jake has his hand up. I'm sorry, sorry, I've kind of dominated the conversation. But one other thing on the storytelling, I also remember uh, one time you sharing that it doesn't have to be real elaborate. And the example you used was missile command, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you want to talk just a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So that's an old, for, for those, uh, what's the next, it's uh, not millennials, but who comes before Gen, uh, Gen, is Gen, Z? Gen, Gen X? Gen X? Or X, yeah. yeah. Okay, Gen away. Y? Or? Wait, I think Gen X is after, or before. yeah, well, I'm a Gen X, I think. So but anyway, Z, the people right. born before the millennials, whoever you are, you I'm, might not know Missile not Command. Not going to know that reference. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Missile Command was basically, it was a very pixelated game, and you had these little, they look, they were supposedly bases on a moon, and you just shot missiles up at at, at, at and it was two aliens. Color. It was two color, that was it, yeah. And the whole idea was, uh, if you looked at the game, it was very unassuming and unengaging, and you didn't know what was happening. But as soon as they called it, labeled it, as they were developing the game, they decided to label it. They didn't know what to call it or what the action was. They called it Missile Command. And all of a sudden, you could imagine yourself being a commander of these bases, having to avoid missiles coming down at you. And so you, we as humans... Put a, all we need is a little bit of a tag, and we can enrich it immensely with the information. I always say, think, think about a book, right? It's black and white um, ink on a white. It's black ink on a white page. Yet sometimes we're crying, sometimes we're laughing. So we don't need a lot to pull us in. And one of the mistakes a lot of instructional designers make when they're doing games and, and doing interactive learning is they want to spend a lot of time on the game and they want to make it really kind of elaborate. Sometimes less is more. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the mistakes that I kind of coach people to avoid. Don't don't teach the entire sales part, sales process. Teach how to close. Right. And once you master that as a game, then expand it. Right. Yeah. And so uh, kind of going back to your story piece, too. So both Dane and I were with uh, Dr. Uh, uh, John Medina on Tuesday. Actually, it was a pre-conference thing. And one of the things he specifically said about how we're wired is that the first thing is how do you gain the attentional state? And the best thing is narrative. So we are wired to love narrative. So I think that's what's always interesting from an instructional design standpoint. And I was um, and I have unfortunately, I've listened to some stories here while I was at the conference and some of the um, particular e-learning, I heard a couple people focus on objectives first, title first, objectives first, which creates this very boring structure that doesn't allow you to be captivated and pulled in. And that's why one thing I love about games, um, and one one example game that I've been playing with my daughter is my first uh, Panic at the Castle. Mm -hmm. Have you played Panic at the Castle? So there's my first Panic at the Castle, which is a great strategy game for a kid. Um, and we get fully immersed into the game. There's these monsters running at the castles and you have to stop them and play with them um, you know, as you're playing the game and think about strategies to pull them out. And But just a simple story element that they add at the very beginning pulls you in and, and, and the game itself is very simple, right? And I think going back to your point, as we focus on um, instruction and bringing in learning, uh, um, learning into it, how do we do it in that simple way, right? And, yeah. I, and I think, but, mm-hmm. but again, adding that story element. Right, that can be and very helpful. And it's not helpful. just the story that we as storytellers or instructional designers are getting across. It's allowing the learner or the consumer of the story to create their own story, to add to it. Yeah. And yep. to live it out for themselves. 
Right. That, exactly. Definitely. I mean, that's what you get out of a game. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's not, you know, we've all been in instruction where the instructor's telling a war story and you're like, okay, what's the point here? So, I mean, it has to be purposefully designed. Um, but that's, I think, one of the advantages of being an instructional designer. We understand purposeful design, mm-hmm. and we can we can add that if we decide to go to the simple and to the to the um, the easy. I was we were talking before the podcast. I've gotten, uh, I guess this is a good segue. We've I've gotten really into developing card games for learning, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the great things about card games are that now not a lot of card games have stories, so every game doesn't have a, have to have a story. But card games are great because people already know the rules. Mm-hmm. They're comfortable with the turn taking. They know certain cards have certain values. So as you think about uh, instruction, think about make it simple. Maybe it's a simple story. Maybe it's a simple gameplay. Maybe yep. it's a simple element. But the learning can be very powerful. One one game that we're actually currently game testing cur- uh, at our um, at our firm right now is using card mechanics as well as a dice mechanic. And we, we weren't even going to plan to use the dice mechanic, but we did a game test not too long ago, and it turned to be phenomenal because, again, people know about it and people are getting super excited. But that was – it was another element based off of the cards that we were drawing. Um, they were getting fully immersed in the story, but that was just an added benefit of the gameplay that once they rolled it, they, they got super excited and you'd hear, oh! <laughs> you know, once they yeah, roll, yeah. but that in itself got them fully more immersed into the the yeah. the, the game itself. Well, the well story. adding the element of chance, which is what dice typically right. do, yeah. uh, is a really great way for engagement. And a lot of people, you know, oh, we don't want chance in learning. Oh, we don't want whatever. And I say, well, you know, for instance, working with a call center. So I say, well, how do you know you're going to get the best customer that calls? And they're like, well, I'm not. I mean, we don't know. So there's a chance that you're going to get yes. Well, then why don't you have chance in the instructional cycle, right? A lot of times in learning, and this is what games do really well, is they give you the the less than best case scenario. But a lot of times in learning, we give the absolute best case. This is what will happen, et cetera. You're like, oh, this is great. I got it. And then you go back to work and you're like, uh, it's not the way it's it not is. The way it is. <laughs> this is not what I learned in training. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So chance, like adding the the dice, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. a simple little ask. Yeah. So are cards a form of, I've heard you talk about frame-based games. Are cards a mm-hmm. form of that? So uh, <clears throat> the, the whole concept of frame gate based games uh, goes back to Tiagi mm. and uh, Tiagi is, is fascinating. So um, I've been doing some, re- I, I saw something the other day, this guy claimed to have invented gamification and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, really? <laughs> so I went back. I, I mean, I did. I, I think I did, the ancient Egyptians might have something. Right. To say exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't invent it, but I'm pretty darn sure you didn't invent it. So anyway, so I went back to do a lot of research and um, in the sixties and seventies, game-based learning was huge. In fact, one of the books I wrote said the problem with modern corporate learning is that there are too many games in the executive suite. I'm like, what happened? Um, So then we get to this back to basics like in the 80s and 90s and that kind of went away. But back then, Tiagi was like pioneering a lot of these concepts and one is frame games. So the concept about a frame game is where the gameplay stays the same, but the content can be interchanged. Mm -hmm. So for example, I do a a game... uh, I call it zombie sales apocalypse, but you can call it engaged sales or sales engagement or whatever. And it's a game where there's a series of scenarios and then somebody says a scenario and then other people can challenge your scenario. It really was designed because a lot of people said, you know, people hate role plays. They don't want to do role plays, but I want them to do that activity. So we did this game. 
but the beauty of that game is you can put in any scenario you want. It could be a sales scenario. It could be an HR scenario. It could be a training scenario. So the idea is that it's a frame for any kind of scenario-based learning. We do this other game called Sort ID, like Sort It Out, which is a matrix game. So you have uh, categories across the top and categories down the side. And whichever team matches the card first in the right cell or category, they win. And the beauty about that game is the rich conversations that can go, oh, does it go here? Does it go there? Does it go? And the other beauty is any kind of, uh, oh, uh, hit the mic there. Any kind of, because uh, for those of you who can't see, yeah, I'm, I'm so moving my Carl's currently here. gesturing. Current gesturing. So <laughs> imagine gesturing lengthwise and then vertical. Um, but basically the idea is that any kind of category across the top and down the side can be used for this game. And once people understand how to work the game, the categories can change. So uh, it's a really uh, cost-effective way, uh, both from a design perspective but from the learner perspective as well, using frame games to add new content and make it a rich experience based on the content, not necessarily the cognitive overload of having to learn what the game's all about. Right. Carl, one thing you just said caught my attention, which is uh, people don't like doing role plays. And we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday in our live session. And I started off by saying, you know, how often do we design icebreakers? But then we as learning people hate to do the icebreakers. <laughs> right. Um, but in my experience, I haven't seen a lot of people push back in a learning event and say, no, I don't want to play a game or I don't like it. Are, do you see that as well? That it just seems to be more engaging in general than some of the other, you know, kind of standby chestnut uh, tools that we use right i yeah i think over time that's changed so you know uh when i first started doing this um i did get some pushback like i'm not gonna play a game that's stupid that's childish whatever mm -hmm. um but now I, I there's been a mind shift for whatever reason that uh most people are like, yeah, I'll try out this game. Yeah, this looks simple. This is good. Now, if the game's not engaging initially, I, I have seen some people drop out. But more often than not, Bob, to your point is, yeah, people are like, yeah, it's a game. I'm going to try this. It's not it's not a silly icebreaker or it's not just an activity for activity's sake. It's, it's a game. And especially, I always tell people, even if somebody doesn't want to play a game, if you explain to them this is the logic behind the game, these are the instructional outcomes behind the game, usually they'll jump right in. Mm -hmm. And um, you only need like one or two people to be like really competitive, and then that pulls everybody else <laughs> in. So it, it's a really a great tool. And the other thing about it is, is time flies when you're playing a game. So people are like, wow, the, the session's over already. I didn't realize it was so fast. And that's another really good thing. And then the other thing about the game, though, is that you do need to do a debrief when you're done. You want to make sure people just didn't have fun, but okay, what did you learn from that? What's experience? What are you going to take away from it? What are you going to apply on the job? You know, all those typical questions that we should be asking anyway are, are more important, are even more important for a game because we want to know that we've solidified that knowledge and that they're th at least thinking about transferring mm -hmm. that knowledge back to work. From the games that I've designed, I've incorporated debriefing and feedback uh, following the game, mm -hmm. but I've also tried to figure out ways to strategize within the game, right? Have you tried to, what, what kind of methods and techniques do you use if there's anything in the middle, or do you kind of pretty much just let them roll and then debrief after? Right. So we've done it both ways. So we have, you know, we did a, a big board game where it was your corporate decision making at the end of each round. You saw your results, and then you talked about, well, why did you get this result? The other team got that result. But we've also done some things. We've done uh, somewhere we've done a timeout. 
So oh, you yeah. say, okay, yeah. in the middle mm-hmm. again, all right, time out, everybody. Now we're going to talk about strategy and kind of what you're doing and that kind of stuff. We've also done games where um, part of the gameplay itself was to write down why you made a certain move. And the idea behind that was to report out of why these moves are made. And so um, one of the rules we did there was if you were making a move and you couldn't justify it based on the instructional, uh, I'm sorry, based on the organizational strategy, then you would lose points. So it really got people thinking about the strategy and kind of writing it down. So that, that, those are a couple of different ways that we try to incorporate the reflection into the game. And then the other way that we've done that is we've actually, I was talking before we started about strategy games where uh, you actually take on the role of a competitor or you take a, of an adversary. So the CIA developed a number of games uh, to help the agents try to find Al Chapo when he was, you know, kind of running around, and they pl- some some of the group played as his team, and some of the group played as the agents trying to track him down, and um, uh, then they would switch. But before they switch, they would talk about mm-hmm. what were the elements mm-hmm. of what were the ideas. So that's another way to try to get that in there. Um, but it's really important to do that. I, I think. I think it's okay where it occurs, just that it occurs. Well, we're getting close to the end of our. Uh podcast and it, Bob Jake any last questions and then I'm I've got one last one for okay. you. Okay. Yeah, I, I do have one. So Carl, what are you playing? Ah, that was going to be my that playing. was going to be my question. <laughs> I, that was not going to no, be my no, question, yeah. so it's a good good thing you guys asked. It's a good asked. question. Yep, that so, was it. So so I try to play games across a lot of different platforms. So one game that I play uh very consistently is Plants vs Zombies. Um, I think it's one of the most brilliant games if you think about leveling somebody up to a skill. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it starts with one plant, one zombie, the sun comes down, it beautifully walks you through. But then after that, it's really a game about resource allocation and about trade-offs. And uh, I just think it's so well done. You know, I can uh, get this plant, which is worth 500 suns, but it's devastating to the zombies. But it's going to take me a while to get all the suns so I can. uh, So I don't know if that's the best thing. Maybe I'll get some smaller ones and line those up, but they don't last as long. So playing that game, I'm also playing um, Assassin's Creed. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one of my favorite uh, PlayStation games. Uh, I just, it, it's just so much fun uh, running around, you know, doing stuff and, and that, that's kind of fun. Um, and running then history. how about right, tabletop games, tabletop games? Um, we've, uh, had a lot of fun with, um, I, I like a game. I, I like Catan of course, and like pandemic and all that kind of stuff, but we play, oh, Blockus is a really cool game. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had a lot of fun. And Rummy Cube, that's been a lot of fun too lately. And um, we uh, recently, uh, not recently, but we um, just, uh, what was the game what we played over Christmas? Oh, it was a really good game. It was, it, you played Spies. Mm-hmm. It won Game of the Year award. And, and Codename's a good game, but that's not what I'm thinking of. There's another game, like Spy Master or Spy Like Me or whatever. So in that game, um, you know, there's just my wife and I at home, so she kind of gets tired of playing games. So I have to wait till my boys come home and then we can, <laughs> all four of us play. Um, so it was over Christmas. But it's my story too. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, but the, the cool thing about that is you have to be a spy and you have to buy assets for your spy but everybody can see what you buy. So if I'm a Russian spy, I also have to buy some Spanish assets or I have to buy some English assets so that you don't think I'm Spanish, but I have to serendipitously buy the Spanish assets as well. It's really a fun game. So uh, those are some of the games. I, I try to play a lot of different games and even games I don't particularly like, 
so that I can see, well, why don't I like this? Why would somebody else like it? And really kind of frame, really, because when I play games, uh, you know, it's fun, but it's also, yeah, I'm not as competitive as like my son or my wife, but I'm much more uh, analytical. Like, Mm -hmm. this is dumb. Like, this game shouldn't have this. This isn't engaging. (laughs) They're like, can you just play the game? I'm like, no, like, I would do this and this and that. And they're like, yeah, but they didn't. So you need to play the game. Make your move. So that's kind of where I get get into trouble. So would you offer a class at uh, Bloomsburg Game Playing 101 where all you do is play games and analyze I do, I do. So one of the- I want to take that class. uh, I know. (laughs) One of the um, sad things is, well, not sad things, but we do a number of courses online. And I'm like, ah, I would love to do more courses where we could play a game every, like, so I had the students go off and kind of play games and then come back and we debrief and because multiple, sometimes multiplayer games are expensive and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But man, I have got, I have a whole closet in my basement filled with games and I'm like, oh man, every class we should be playing games and playing games. So we do in this one class, but I would do it in every class if I could. <laughs> so Carl, as we wrap this up, um, there is one segment that is kind of a recurring segment uh, periodically, and that is our RIP segment. And the idea behind that is there are certain things in the learning industry that we wish would just go away. Okay, yeah. Or, you know, significantly be modified or yeah, something right. like that. You know, rest in peace. <laughs> so um, if there's something that you could RIP, what what would that be? I, I think uh, the number one thing that comes to mind is – uh, one-way webinars. I've seen way <laughs> too many webinars presented as instruction, and it's they're, they're, and it's so painful to go through those webinars where there's no interactivity, or even worse, there's interactivity for the sake of interactivity. Like it's not really linked to a to pop a, the balloons, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does that yeah. have to do with anything? Yes, yeah. if you can hear me. Right, exactly. So I, I would love to have, and it, and it fascinates me because if you think about the webinar tools, you could do a breakout room, mm-hmm. you could do a survey, you could uh, do a chat. And that's about it. Like, where's all the interactive tools for webinars? I find that fascinating, a fascinating hole in the industry that's that's not been filled. Um, the other thing, can I kill like a couple of things? Yeah, yeah go, go for okay. it. Go for it. So the other thing I would kill is- Carl, Carl the Slayer. <laughs> right, the Slayer, Dragon I'm, I'm Slayer. I'm creating the tombstone right here, <laughs> right. right next to me. So. Well, the other thing, and, and uh, you had uh, kind of mentioned this before, but like get rid of starting instruction with objectives. Mm-hmm. Like, because nobody cares, like even- even us as designers, our goal is to click past that as so fast. Like, use questions, use a challenge, use a little scenario, anything to pull people in. If you look at, so I, I always think that we should steal from like Hollywood and comic books and game designers. And one of the things, if you look at uh, uh, everybody that does a blog, right, or a video vlog, they the good ones start like four or five seconds with a hook. Mm-hmm. Then they do their standard intro. Then they pick it back yep. up, right? Yep. We don't do that with training, right? Oh, we're going to start with the objective. Oh, my God. When, what, t- let me know when class starts, right? So why not start with, like, a problem? You know, somebody embezzled $10 million. What are you going to do? Okay, now here's what we're going to learn, the right procedure, the right – I mean, that would be, I think, so much more interesting. So so if I could, you know, wield a machete and take care of those two things, those would be <laughs> – those would be top priority. I'm chiseling the, that in. The, <laughs> the graveyard keeps getting bigger, doesn't it? Yeah, this is great. It's been a great conversation, Carl, and we would love to have you back on again. And maybe we could even uh, at some point in the future roll up our sleeves a little bit and see uh, you know, some good practical tips for 
learning designers who want to use games and become game designers. And for people who can't wait for that moment, uh, the book that you wrote with Sharon, uh, Play to Learn, right? Yes, yeah, Play to Learn, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, does a fantastic, does a fantastic job of that. And uh, you can learn a lot about game design without having to pay for a full four-year degree like I'm doing for my youngest son. <laughs> right. <laughs> studying game design. Yes. Uh, but again, thank you for being with us. And to all of our listeners, thanks again for joining us. So on behalf of Jake and Dana, this is Bob saying we'll see you next time on the Learning Geeks podcast. Take care, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for having me.